Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Change in the Climate podcast. Of course, as you know, this show is brought to you by Climate Change Realty, the only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its commissions to nonprofits dedicated to fighting climate change. If you are looking to create climate action on your next real estate transaction, all you have to do is visit ccrealty.org, and we will find you an agent in your area who's willing to offer 50% of their commissions to help save the planet. Now let's dive into the podcast. Doll, we are here, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here today. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> and, you know, we always like to get the podcast started with a bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you are doing at the current moment. Wonderful. So I'm Doll Winters. I'm the CTO of Deep Science Limited. Uh, we've been in business for a while, several years now, and we are um, um, definitely a company that's in the carbon removal space as well as doing climate action. Uh, I personally, I do a lot of volunteer work with uh, com- with uh, organizations like the Open Air Collective. Uh, I work with air miners. I do quite a bit of things, but my heart is really into climate action, uh, taking pro- t- making progress right now as fast as we can, uh, because such action just isn't happening. Gotcha. So what were you doing before you founded Deep Science Limited? How did you get there? Yeah, I was, uh, so I, I've always had an interest in science. Uh, my background is very scattered in terms of what scientific activities I've done. Uh, I've been in biology, chemistry, physics, earth science, uh, computer science mainly, and I've, I've really uh, spent the last few years in IT and geospatial big data. Um, harnessing the ability of satellites and aerial imagery to see the landscape, uh, to basically look at uh, things like soil carbon, land cover classification, and such things. Uh, I started getting aware of the climate problem uh, pretty early on back in uh, 2009, and uh, um, I've made it my career to try to get into that and understand that a little more so we can make some progress on it because it's uh, it's definitely the ch- most challenging problem I've run across and I've done innovation work for the last um, like 15 years or so. Okay. So when you were a kid, were you just looking around and like, I just want to know how everything works. You said earth science, you, you, you covered a lot of different areas there. We were just like, I'm going to figure out how this entire universe functions. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've had an insatiable curiosity all my life. And uh, it, it's been, it, it's funny. That's the one thing you can't really reveal about yourself at parties, because when you go to a party and you start talking about all kinds of things, people look at you kind of weirdly and they're like, nah, nah, nah. But um, but I've I've been able to uh, make lots of friends, um, get along with many people because we are kind of on the same wavelength. Um, the people that I meet, uh, we all care about the same things. We want a better planet, a better world for people. Um, uh, and it's 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 been a pleasure getting to know so many people in this field. Absolutely, and I'm sure your curiosity has served you well. One of the things I like about this podcast is always always being able to have something to talk about. I think I think having a a broad knowledge base about a lot of stuff means maybe if you're at a specific type of party, you might not be able to talk about everything with someone. But if you go to a bunch of different parties, you might be able to ha- start a conversation in every single one. So I appreciate that about you. Um, let's briefly talk about why you decided to volunteer at the Open Air Collective and, and what exactly it is. Yes. So the Open Air Collective is an organization uh, founded by Matt Parker and Christopher Nidal. Um, several years ago, I think it was 2018 or so, they uh, actually a little earlier than that, they got together and decided we needed a, uh, a group 
to pioneer carbon dioxide removal through um, open source technologies, open hardware technologies. And we wanted to also drive um, to influence policy decisions being made within uh, the US and maybe worldwide as well. One of the big things, uh, achievements of the Open Air Collective has been that this 700 member community so far, and it's still growing, has um, been able to pioneer some uh, bills that have been passed, like in New York, the LECLA bill uh, for low emission, uh, low body carbon concrete. And also now at the federal level, there's the CDRLA bill, um, the Carbon Dioxide Removal Leadership Act. And this all came out of a group of volunteers who have been working with the two individuals I named uh, earlier to, um, to basically get something moving. And it's, it's entirely volunteer. No one gets paid. Um, many brilliant minds in that collective just trying to help out. So when you say open source, that's the idea of the technology or whatever you're working on being available to the public yeah. kind of thing as compared to like a private company who's trying to create the perfect direct air capture device kind of thing. Am I understanding that appropriately? Definitely, yes. Yeah, the whole idea is uh, free exchange of information. It's not proprietary. There's no IP associated with it. We want to get that information out there to as many to as many curious minds and abilities as we have uh, interest. And basically, we want to make it as simple as possible for people to understand how to do carbon dioxide removal. Uh, it gets people involved. They get encouraged. They see that there's something they can do for the climate. That also gets them interested in other things, such as emissions reduction, which is really a huge component of what we need right now. Um, but carbon dioxide removal brings people in the door. Totally. So not only are you a curious individual, but you're also an inventor. So I want to kind of talk about several of the things you've created over the years. And I want to start with um, this cyan device. Is that how yes. it's pronounced? Yes. What, what is that? How did you come up with that idea? How does it work? Yeah, so I, I did. Uh, I, I was really interested in doing something for my own carbon dioxide removal. Uh, I have uh, I, I started on a track where I basically uh, put solar on my house, scaled back my driving to once or maybe even twice a week. Uh, I, I stayed at home. This was during COVID, so um, so I, I had the opportunity to trial that out a bit. Um, I I stopped eating a, a lot of meat, and uh, we we have um, we we don't do a lot of things uh, that that produce emissions. And so, but I was still having a huge impact. And I thought, well, what else can I do? So I looked into carbon dioxide removal, and I, 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 I've read a lot of papers. I knew about it. I thought, well, let me build something in my own house that demonstrates the process and that uh, is cheap enough that anyone else can do it as well, and they can learn what I learned um, and get interested that way. So I, I put together a system. It's a small box. Um, basically, costs like less than $40 to assemble. If you have a, a low carbon source of um, the active ingredient, which is calcium hydroxide, you can you can use that to suck up a lot of CO2 in the air, and um, and basically uh, 10 grams sucks up about like two grams of carbon, basically carbon dioxide, and um, people can do this in their own homes, and you get um, this nice calcium carbonate output, which is actually it's a big word, but all it is is seashells. Uh, it's chalk, basically. Um, you get this as an output. You can add it to cement. You can put it in your garden. You can do whatever you want with it. So, um, and people start getting the idea that they can like make these things and explore carbon dioxide removal with them, and it brings people together. Um, Open Air Collective has seen a lot of growth uh, recently, and part of that is due to the Cyan Project. 
And you created that yourself. Yeah. You came up with the idea, you designed it, you got it from prototype yeah. to a working yeah. device. Yeah, it's really, it's it's embarrassingly simple. I almost feel bad that um, that's all that I could think of to uh, give to the world. But, um, but at the time I was really looking for something I could do for my own carbon footprint. So I started this. Um, it doesn't remove much carbon, but it really focused my attention on the problem. And I learned a lot of things along the way. Oh, that's definitely important. What did you say the input was? Calcium hydroxide. Yes, yes. Was that right? Yeah, it is a. What is that? Yeah, calcium hydroxide is a. Uh, it's a byproduct of uh, of making cement. So it's a um, when when you make cement, um, which is itself very energy intensive, uh, you're able to get calcium hydroxide as a as a uh, basically wetting the material. Now there are companies like Brimstone Energy. Uh, I can name. Uh, I think uh, uh, Sublime Systems is also working on such a source, and uh, Carbon Built may also be um, doing that out in California. They all have low carbon sources of calcium hydroxide, uh, which means that basically it's like 80% lower than regular cement. Uh, it's really um, a useful material. You can use it for building materials, and you can also use it for um, removing carbon. Do you think a device like this could actually fully remove more than the amount that a typical, for say, like American emits mm -hmm. each year, or is the technology not not capable of doing that uh cyan itself is not it's a really small device so it's not going to do the job right. but similar technologies and i know there's companies like carbon reform out of delaware and uh some other uh, uh places that are looking into doing this um same technology same chemistry but it is much larger scale they are actually um driving progress in this area using the same um the same principle that i did that's cool. When I think of direct air capture, I think of a giant plant and you're inspiring me right now. I'm thinking a couple episodes you were talking about what to do with extra energy. Like let's say that the sun the sun hits the solar panel and there's and it charges up the battery and then after that it goes back to the grid. Mm -hmm. My immediate thought is then to use that extra energy to power a device that's going to then draw down carbon. Mm -hmm. So I had never thought of having each individual household potentially have some sort of carbon mm -hmm. capture device that could then I, you said said be then be used for cement mm -hmm. or I guess the other option was fertilizer mm -hmm. was what you had said for your plants. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's yeah. not a, it's not the strongest fertilizer. And actually, you can't use a lot of it on your plant, but you can nitrogen fertilizer. But it does help certain alkaline loving plants to grow better. Yeah. Or I'm thinking if everyone just had like a device that draws down carbon mm -hmm. out of their house and then it deposits it every year and then someone comes and picks it mm -hmm. up once a year and takes it away mm -hmm. and then goes and does something good with it. Like perhaps mm -hmm. creating cement would make yeah, a lot of yeah. sense. Any solution we can to, mm -hmm. to, to get this yeah, thing going. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the work you're doing at uh, deep science mm -hmm. limited. How did, what, how did the organization mm -hmm. get funded and what are you up to these days? Uh, so uh, we started this company really small scale back in 2015. And at the time I was doing a, a number of uh, innovation challenges. I actually was motivated by a hackathon that I participated in for the very first time, Google, came to uh, Denver and we had a hackathon uh, called the GovDev Challenge uh, for Government Development. And there were two uh, items, like basically um, if you wanted to do disaster relief or budget transparency for the state of Wyoming. And I chose the latter because like no one else was really doing it and uh, it needed to be done. So I saw there was a need. Um, and I won second place out of like 
300 something participants and for my very first hackathon so i was kind of inspired and i started doing more innovation challenges well then i started getting funding from winning awards and i thought you know why don't i i kind of need to start a company at that point in time just to you know do my taxes but um it, it was really interesting and i i started learning a lot of things just to be able to make proposals and uh, solve problems for people and so i was at digital globe at the time which is now maxar technologies um doing some great satellite uh imaging work there as well as um uh, geospatial big data um basically you know, i i I um I love computers and I just like the idea of working with them to do things and I thought well why don't I combine that kind of work with uh, a company um and and basically do um computer science um for innovation challenges and apply and then I thought well let's apply biology to that as well um and then biomaterials and then you know lo lots of different things so then um there was a challenge that I did for AstraZeneca um this was on the uh, on a um innovation platform and they needed some help with an implant for type 2 diabetes uh and i thought well let me see what i can do for that i did a lot of reading and um came up with a a proposal and it was within the last 2 days of the deadline and i had read like a ton of papers i didn't have an idea and then it just struck me like that night i needed to actually um uh, write everything down got it submitted and out of 300 or uh 350 uh participants I was uh the winner and uh, so we we got funding and I thought well you know I let, let's continue doing good with this and get more funding so that's how our company took off uh it's been myself and my husband Laura Winners for um for many years now um and only recently have I um uh considered really expanding my company um it, it's uh it's been i i haven't seen the need because you know some some things you can do a lot of good with with just volunteering um not everything requires a huge paycheck or a big budget and um uh but i started finding out that there were local people in my area um uh, people who had the the drive to solve climate problems had a huge amount of experience um tremendous people who are just not in action right now. Um we have somebody on our team currently um I I asked I gave him the opportunity to join us and he uh he in the past had uh, managed a budget of about a billion dollars and um he um he's really committed to the climate. Um wrote 100 papers, over 100 papers and he's not, you know, he wasn't being fully engaged in uh in things. He wasn't having that opportunity and so I thought Well, let me get him. Um ask him if he'd like to be on board. We have a stay-at-home mom who has not been at work for many years now. She has a child who's 8 years old. He's really interested in rocks, um doing geology work and um, um we have somebody who's actually a geologist on our team and you know, maybe I'm able to connect them both together to um see what we can do for her son, but um those are the kinds of people that we're we're trying to attract because she is really strong in in marketing and uh um and and connecting with people. And we need that in order to get the science out there to convince people that they need to join our platform, which 
Um, you should ask me a question about that pretty soon because uh, I'd be happy to share more about that with you. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we'll spend a decent amount of time talking about that. Uh, bef- before we, I, I just want to get like a basic understanding of how we can use tools mm-hmm. like data analytics and quantum mm-hmm. computing to like help us with these climate solutions and mitigate some of the risks that come from. Yes. So yeah, let me set the stage on that. Um, basically, th- this problem is so complex. We have an entire world full of countries. Uh, countries have cities. Cities have um, like neighborhoods and down to the household level, there are people, um, some of which know about the climate problem, some of which don't. But one thing that is common amongst all places is there are people who are trying to do work. Uh, businesses who are in the business of providing climate solutions, things like solar, renewable energy, wind, geothermal. Uh, then you have the carbon removal companies, uh, including uh, companies that are participating in the, um, the new carbon economy. So including carbon sequestration, CO2 for feedstocks to make chemicals and such. That cycles the carbon around. It doesn't really remove it, but that's part of the solution that we're heading toward as well. Um, and then we have companies that do energy efficiency, um, um, various things. But our focus is everybody you know, wants to see the CO2 out of the air if they're engaged in this business. So we want to provide them with a platform that will point out to the user what is the most optimal strategy to drive down the maximum amount of CO2 emissions at the least cost, at the least amount of time. Um, so far, there's nothing that does that. So everyone is working on climate solutions and they're like, well, let me find customers uh, however I can. And we actually want people to log on to our platform and say, here are the customers that I can get. Here are the funding opportunities that I can provide our customers in order for them to be able to work with us. Here are the funding opportunities from agencies as well as private investors to get our company growing for a startup. Um, That basically connecting the dots for the people involved, uh, for the businesses is what we're aiming to do with our new platform, Quantum Go. Uh, It's coming up as the Quantum Global Optimizer platform. Um, We might rename it, I don't know, but um, it depends on what what interest we get and and what people would like to see other than their optimal connections. Uh, That we're scheduled to have done by September. We wanna open it up to people, um, get some early signers on the platform, and um, basically, yeah, just get progress driven. Um, it, it's it's beyond time. Uh, I've, I've spent years now trying to solve problems and uh, being pretty successful at it. Uh, I, th- the climate problem is the one problem that's just still there. And, you know, people have thought of this since the 1970s. And I, I, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to know that, um, yeah, progress has just not been made. And this is a huge area of opportunity. Um, there's billions of dollars going into climate solutions right now that just aren't getting to the people that need it to grow their companies so we can have more progress and they can see more growth. Fantastic yeah. point. Yeah, no, that, that's so true. Um, where Where is the data going to primarily come from, though? Is it going to be the individual people who are creating the projects that are providing you with the data, how is it all going to get on the platform? So we have already started with some preliminary data sources. Um, basically, what we do is we, uh, we we have two levels of optimization. The first level is the one that we use with quantum computing right now. 
And that we take from, uh, we have our primary source for um, how much CO2 can be reduced by these, uh, so far, 60-something climate solutions. Uh, we use Project Drawdown. There's a website called Project Drawdown. Um, you can go there and see all the different climate solutions that have actually had scientific backing as far as how much CO2 can be removed in a certain amount of time. Um, we want to take those solutions, identify the companies that are providing those solutions, and then those companies can register on our platform. Those will, those will get matched with customers as well as with funding opportunities beyond the quantum optimization stage. Actually, at, on the UI, the, the user interface, when they log in, they'll be able to view like a, a, an optimal list of connections. That does not require quantum computing. Uh, what we do with the quantum is we um, use it to solve an otherwise intractable problem. Uh, we have 451 cities so far all over the world, and we are trying to figure out, um, like on a monthly scale, every month, what projects can get done in which cities in order to drive the most amount of CO2 emissions at least cost. Um, and we orchestrate that schedule uh, with the people who are on the platform and we then connect the opportunities for every month going out to 2025. Um, we, we don't even think about 2050. It, it's, it's not, um, it just stalls action to think so far out. And people want to see growth now uh, they want their businesses to grow now. Um, and a lot of people who are really caring about the, who should care about climate, might not even be alive in 2050. Um, so it's really an opportunity that really needs to be taken this very moment. Um, so we're looking out to 2025. It also helps our data processing and uh, optimization costs to not have to go out to 2050. Um, and people just care more because they can see a clear path like 36 months from now, three years, this is what our business might look like if we take advantage of these opportunities. Right. So what what is first what is computing and then how does it compare to quantum computing? What's the difference? Yeah, the difference is uh, it, it's it's all computing. It's just what kind of hardware you're using. So regular computing, uh, think of it as uh, you've all seen the matrix, uh, zeros and ones on the screen. Basically, it's um, um, data is represented as off or on signals. Uh, with quantum computing, you basically have uh, bits that are not bits anymore. They can actually represent, uh, you have qubits that represent both states at the same time. Um, a lot more information can get stored that way. Uh, you can solve optimization problems much faster than you can with normal computers, um, just because of the way the information is being represented. And so um, what we do is we take a really hard optimization problem, which otherwise might take years and years to solve. Um, and we try to, we, we don't actually solve that problem. We solve like a different version of that. It's much smaller, much more condensed. And we also use um, not entirely like um, the full uh, big quantum computers. We use hybrid computing, which means we combine the quantum with regular computing in order to solve these big problems. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of different carbon solutions, and um, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear how the the pricing mechanism actually works. Because how do you put a price on something like a natural base solution, like a, growing a tree, versus like a like a direct air capture machine? You can pretty much almost exactly calculate the cost, whereas a tree can have a 
a bird or a woodpecker can come and destroy mm -hmm. it. So how do you, how does that pricing, pricing mechanism like actually work? Yeah, it, it's, it's not our problem. It's actually Project Drawdown's problem because they provide the data. They actually have done the research. Okay. They have the cost per ton information for all of these solutions. So we just use what they have because it's already been vetted. The science has been done. Um, that's the best available information that we have to run with. And so uh, uh, Jonathan Foley at uh, Project Drawdown has done an excellent job assembling a team to really handle these issues. Um, the only thing that really needs to be built out is the, uh, the carbon removal solutions that are not yet fully available on, on Project Drawdown. And that's part of where we will come in in future years to offer um, our own solutions as well as to help others to uh, come on board the platform with theirs. Okay, cool. So how is the connection actually going to work between like innovators and um, or like investors mm -hmm. and people who are doing the projects? They have to meet on the platform mm -hmm. and then they do you facilitate like a transaction for mm -hmm. them or do they have to do that off of the platform? Yeah, they that will have to do that off of the platform. All we do is point out the optimal connections with contact information. They will have the opportunity to subscribe to our platform. Um, as companies who are going to make uh, profits from the connections that they have, uh, they'll have to pay a subscription, of, of course. But uh, we also want um, to have funding agencies as well as private investors who have portfolio companies. We want them to enroll their companies on our platform for free. Um, so they don't have to pay anything to have their portfolio companies on our platform. Um, we drive then business for them. Um, those individual companies that are offering climate solutions. And then the investor sees the return uh, through the growth of their portfolio companies. So the individual companies themselves, once they're rolled on the platform, they'll have to subscribe. And that's how that's the main way we'll get customers because we have um, places like their derivative and uh, uh, maybe there's, I, I don't know, um, um, Techstars, uh, other places that have uh, climate uh, accelerator programs, um, air miners might in pretty soon um, do something as well with, with their fund. We want to take the portfolio companies and enroll them so that they can grow and then that way the investor grows as well. They get a better solid return on their investment. Um, people benefit because they're getting climate solutions. CO2 gets drawn down much faster because people are actually actively making connections that they otherwise wouldn't make because they don't know that that's the pathway they need to take in order to achieve the most optimal outcome. And this is planning to go live in September, did you say? Yep, yep. We've got a team of six working on it now. Um, it is, uh, I, I'm actually doing a, a good bit of the work that everyone else is doing, like a lot of the um, uh, business handling, marketing, finding customers, doing data recording uh, uh, and other things. But it, it's really interesting what's going on. Um, I'm actually getting to put my skills to good use, um, doing the quantum computing as well as uh, um, the cloud work as well, cloud computing. We also have a company um, called Ingeni, which is a very good partner uh, of ours. Um, we, we feel like they're, they're just really close. They're doing awesome work. They're actually building a platform um, in order to help people facilitate the, uh, the use of quantum computing um, for, for their applications. So they have been, we, we've been in talks, uh, uh, we're helping them with their platform. They're helping us with um, uh, helping us think through how to do this. So you yourself are actually building the platform. Yeah. Mostly. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast to take a little break. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's a welcome break. You know, today I was uh, 
yeah, it, 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 it really is great. It, it's amazing uh, what I've what I've gone through the last few days. Uh, we had a family member who died, and he um, we we had the funeral today, so I had to travel like 500 miles across the country to uh, to get to the funeral. Um, we got in last night. I had client calls this morning. I've been managing the team. I've been uh, I just got here to this office after the funeral service. I paid my respects and, um, you know, I, I went through the whole, it, it's a process. It's definitely a grieving process. But one thing I learned as a result of that is life is short. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the only person who's suffering grief right now. There's a lot of people who are suffering grief as a result of the climate crisis. People's houses have burned down. People have been uh, flooded out of their homes. Um, you know, they're, they're, this thing is happening on a massive scale worldwide. India, for example, people can't even go outside in order to, uh, to do things because it's like, it's insanely hot. It's like over 130 degrees in most of the country, countries over there. And um, I'm very fortunate. And I, I, I realize that that's something that um, while I have the chance, I want to make sure that I do good by the people that I come across and that I help the climate as much as I can. Because, you know, my, I might not be here tomorrow and then my team has to take over. But I, I feel really comfortable that I've built a solid platform. Um, I have good people. Um, I, I feel more hope nowadays than I ever have in my whole life that there is going to be a solution to the climate crisis. And it's not just one solution, it's all the solutions, but they all need to be deployed effectively this point in time, today. Now, my, I don't want to wait until September if I could. You know, It would be nice if I, we had more <laughs> investors that could uh, help us out and uh, help fund us more so we could actually get this thing rolling out quicker. But um, you know, until that happens, like we're, we're not waiting for anyone. I'm just supplying through my own funds and whatever we make um, this summer uh, from other projects. Uh, we'll go towards this platform. Well, Dar, you sound like a, a, a legit CEO. No way around it. You're putting in the work. You're birthing out this project, and I respect you for it greatly. You're using your personalized skill set to try and create the, the largest impact possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if a single project were to get funded because of you, it could fundamentally change the, the world and the course of the future. When, it, when you're talking about carbon, the impacts last for decades, if not mm -hmm. centuries. So it's a big deal. And you're creating a platform that could potentially fund dozens of projects. So... I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, so speaking of these projects that are being funded, based on your own personal research and what you know, what do you think are some of the most promising opportunities that are out there? So, uh, in your in your humble opinion, yeah, I, I've I've got two in mind. Um, everyone talks about carbon dioxide removal. That actually has the hugest amount of interest right now. It's not a hundred percent of the solution. Um, I, I love where this is going. I love where the pro the progress is being made and getting people on board with carbon dioxide removal. And I've been a part of that myself with the Open Air Collective and Air Miners. I've helped to support the growth of carbon dioxide removal. But um, that's like, it's a small fraction of what we need to do. We, we actually need to do emissions reduction, huge amounts of emissions reduction today, which means that we need to decarbonize industry, uh, buildings, energy use for heating and cooling. We need to actually reduce that energy load quickly and shift that to renewables. Um, some people don't like nuclear, some people do. That's another option. We can always explore that later. But the biggest thing is we have a lot of people who are former employees of the fossil fuel industry. Um, I, I personally, I've never been a fossil fuel uh, um, um, 
advocate ever. Um, I, I basically, I'm definitely for renewables and for uh, clean energy. But uh, I also recognize that those people have families, um, just same as mine. Um, they need to provide for their families. Um, not all of them wanted to um, to basically do a lot of um, um, and do harm by what they did. Uh, they just wanted to work. And so I want to get those people shifted over to the, the energy industry, the new energy industry. I want them doing carbon sequestration. I want them doing carbon dioxide removal. That's the hugest opportunity I see right now is getting the funds currently in the fossil fuel industry actually diverted to good causes, uh, things that can actually help the climate. Because they, they have a huge amount of funds there and a huge amount of expertise that could be actually applied to putting CO2 underground. Um, there's also, for example, um, methane emissions tons of natural gas leaks all over the country and methane has actually now become one of the strongest greenhouse gases that's powering the greenhouse effect on our planet it's not co2 anymore it's actually more like methane for the next 20 years uh, there's so much of it all over the place from natural gas leaks from um, permafrost melting in in the arctic um, there we can't help the arctic stuff but if we can get our natural gas leaks under control right now uh, maybe by capping well bores with uh, biochar, um, including concrete, something that stores carbon to cap the well bores. Um, that's actually one thing that we're looking at uh, providing some services for. Uh, there's, yeah, methane uh, is huge. And it, it's not anything that DAC can solve, direct air capture, because the quantity of methane is so small in the atmosphere, it would take like a, a huge expense to try to remove any of it. So we really need to stop it at its source, remove the carbon dioxide that's already there, um, cut dramatically our emissions, which is why Quantum Go is going to be so pivotal in this process, because people need to know what can they do to actually make a cut, make a difference, and uh, something that will be profitable for their companies as well, because they're engaged in climate solution. Right. Yeah, I mean, even beyond mobilizing the funding and capital that's in the fossil fuel industry, I think even more powerful is mobilizing the labor force and not saying, hey, you're gone, you're out of business, saying, hey, no, here's an opportunity for you to move up in your career, yeah. to do something, make more money, use your your, your skill set to improve mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. So, and how can someone argue with that, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I'm definitely all for that. It's um, We're trying to make the world a better place by what we do. Uh, we, we have uh, scientists who have been fully immersed in climate on our team right now. Uh, we also have people who are energy advisors on our team right now who know about renewable energy as well as older energy sources, conventional energy. Um, they know how to actually transform um, what people have done in the past and actually get those people moved over to the more renewable, cleaner energy sources. Um, it, it's not hard. It really isn't. It's it's People do this all the time. It's called change management for companies. What you really need is the inducement to do it. And so if you see dollar signs at the end of the day, as a result of what you what, what you saw in Quantum Go, um, basically, if you can connect the dots and find who you should talk to in order to make this project happen, and you actually have the idea of what size project to build, when, especially when in time, because um, everyone wants to do something now, but there's it, it actually there's delays in getting permits and getting uh, people together and uh, selecting a site to put these projects up. We actually account for that on the platform as well. So consumers, um, um, companies, they really don't have to put in a lot of data. 
Uh, it's really just um, how big the project is that they can provide. Uh, how much CO2 does it remove if it's not already accounted for by our system, and who they want to service within their local area. And once we have that information, uh, the system automatically connects people. They get an output, and you know they can roll with it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I took an entire course in Australia about um, change management and how it's the largest contributing factor to the success of, of a corporation. So I think that's really interesting for people to keep in mind because, you know, in, in order to stay in business, if you're in business in 1920 and 2020, it's a fundamentally different world. So it would make sense that the, your ability to change is the most likely contributing factor to your success. Why companies like Apple keep coming up with new and innovative products. So speaking of world-changing new innovative technologies, I really would love to hear your thoughts on the advent of AI and its ability to perhaps continue to foster further environmental stewardship uh, through people, hopefully, as, as long as we don't become obsolete. No, no, no. People are never going to become obsolete because someone has to actually fix the AI. Um, and you can't really let AI fix itself and then um, not have people. We, we kind of need the AI to do what we need it to do. We've built the tools and uh, we can make modifications and help guide its evolution wherever, well, whatever trajectory it goes on. But I was just giving a talk um, about a month ago with the uh, Scholastic Artificial Intelligence um, uh, Leadership, or um, I forget, the, the it's called Salia. Um, they are, oh, the League, yes, Scholastic Artificial Intelligence League. Um, it's a group of high school students, um, really fantastic people who are in AI, who have taught themselves AI. They actually provide resources for other students to learn AI. And I was actually giving a talk on AI and sustainability. Um, so it's, it's up on their website. I think it's salia.org, and um, uh, there's a little uh, link there or something. But um, it's on YouTube, and I basically told them we have a huge amount of potential using AI for climate change, for sustainability. Uh, there was a paper with uh, some of the most notable people within deep learning, within artificial intelligence and machine learning, who, who did this paper. And it's like machine learning for climate change or something. Um, basically outlines all the different ways you can apply AI to the climate problem. Um, what's interesting is it, a lot of it has to do with, um, um, not, not a lot of it has to do with optimization, but with collecting data. Um, making smarter sensors so that we can actually um, develop better agriculture um, that that might actually lower some of the energy expenses optimizing what uh, like supply chains um, what um, what what the energy uses go on in data centers and how to remove some of that energy load because data centers use a huge amount of electricity um, require a lot of cooling for their uh, operations and yeah, this there was just a lot in that paper, but what I found was um, sometimes the attention is more paid to getting students into artificial intelligence so that they can work at other jobs like uh, cybersecurity or uh, they can work at um, um, I don't know like a media um, platform or so to monitor uh, things like well Facebook, Twitter, social media. Um, Artificial intelligence really goes a long way within uh, the finance world and also in, uh, in the social, uh, in the marketing world, but not so much in sustainability. And it's kind of sad because that's what I spent my, uh, my career doing before I was uh, at Deep Science. I actually worked for a company right. that 
did uh, a lot of AI, and I, I actually uh, built a tool. Um, I was one of the members that on my first year there, we built like this um, um, a big data tool to handle large amounts of uh, satellite imagery to actually select the satellite imagery that would uh, be used for land cover classification. So you could identify things like roads and trees and cities and uh, uh, whatever you wanted to from those particular satellite images. And so, you know, I, AI was being used and it was being used for good purposes, for sustainability. And uh, that's just not commonplace. I think it will be very soon because there's so much interest in this topic. Yeah. I did want to ask you why it is you're more hopeful now. I think you had said mm -hmm. previously that than ever before, which is interesting because I, the, the episode just before this, I had Jonathan L Lundgren, who is a, he studies insects and now he's really focused on the health of the soils. And he, I don't agree, but he was saying we have 10 years until all of ecosystems collapse. So when you have, it's really interesting that there's people who say stuff like that. And then there's people I'm more on, on your end where I think it's not, there's never been a better opportunity. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how you got to, to where you are now with this feeling of hope. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm, I, I've seen both signs. I know that the doomsayers are saying we're, we're full of hopium at this point. Uh, we really are just deluded on the idea that we have so much hope that things will get better, even though things are just going to go catastrophically wrong. So I've seen that argument. I've also seen the argument where people are just so blinded by the, the bright technologies available and the possibilities of human ingenuity to solve whatever problems out there. And I'll have to say I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, the future is what you make it. Um, you, we have two outcomes. One is the doomsayers prediction. The other one is the uh, technological optimist position. Um, either one of those is possible. And, you know, it may be something in between. But what's certain is we will definitely see what the doomsayers are uh, seeing if we do nothing. So I'm like, why not take the route of opportunity? Even if, you know, even if we end up like, uh, if, for example, um, um, Don't Look Up, that movie I, I saw, and then I was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a, such a good parody of the climate crisis. If we were to look up and we know the world is ending like in 10 years, um, yeah. why would we... We, we should act as though we can actually do something about it while we can, because that's the only time that we have that we can do something. Right now, it's the only time. Uh, I, I could just say, you know, I could throw up my hands and say, well, why don't I just go for work for the fossil fuel industry or something and make huge amounts of money? And <laughs> No, I, I, I will not do that because I feel like there's actually a chance. And I think if we put our minds together, we can actually control the outcome of our future. And if not, we will be known as being people who tried. Um, that's the legacy that we'll leave, we'll leave to, um, to future generations, however they might be, uh, whatever they might be. Uh, maybe there'll be monkeys, you know, a million years from now or something. But uh, Frog people. Or, or, or maybe uh, frog people or uh, maybe uh, birds. Uh, corvids, right. crows, ravens are really smart nowadays. Dolphins, you know, they could be pretty smart as well. But um, <laughs> saying that, you know, the future is is unwritten means that we have an opportunity to try. And, you know, I, I want to um, definitely do that because there's a lot of good that can be done in my lifetime. 
um, kids are kind of expecting that. Like Greta Thunberg, uh, she um, she's galvanized um, alone, galvanized a huge amount of support from people, uh, and, and a lot of you know bad comments as well from people who don't just, just don't understand. But she has to live in the future that we've produced, and I want to make sure she has a good opportunity. You know, same as uh, uh, the person on my team who has an eight-year-old child. Um, they have a right as well as I do to have a good future. And so I just want to make sure that we can do that for them. Um, I'm there with you on everything you said. And um, there's a bunch of things I love about you and the way you're spending your life. But one of the things I find so interesting, and cor correct me if I'm wrong, I've got a list in front of me of different things that you've created throughout your career. A cloud-based geospatial data pipeline, an anomaly detection algorithms. We've discussed some of them throughout this podcast. Molecular discovery systems, aerosol monitoring systems, the Quantum Go platform, which of course is your most recent big passion project, Cyan we discussed, a biochair-based removal sorbent. And I have no doubt that you've got other ideas bubbling in your head right now that you're working on that have not come to the public. And I just want to know, like, how are you doing this? Like, what is your creative process? Like, how are you coming up with all this stuff? Yeah, it's um, I I, I, get, I get asked that question a lot, and really, it, <laughs> it, it, it comes from um, I I think I I don't really know, but what I feel like it comes from is when you um, when you're able to actually know what matters, when you actually have a good solid idea of the direction that you're headed in, the goal that you want to achieve, and you put everything else aside, um, that, that really opens up your mind to be more creative. So when you are driven by a need, uh, not just a want, like, you know, you want to get more social status, more money, or more points on your video game, or, you know, you want to get, like, the biggest car, the biggest house, or make, like, uh, have the most of anything. Uh, if you just see something that there's a need for, and you take everything else, everything else away. Um, it, it's really it helps to free your mind to think about what pieces can you actually put together in order to assemble a solution to the problem. Like you, it, mice do it all the time. You know, you put them in a maze and um, they wander around and they have a goal to actually find the food at the end of the maze. And if mice can do that, you know, I, hopefully humans can as well. Um, they're not blindsided by um, anything else. If they're actually like bigger, like rats, they will just climb up over the maze and walk over to the food. Um, so they're, they're not constrained like we are by all the rules and uh, perceived uh, things that we, um, we, we go after in life. Um, there's just, it's very clear, like to me and like Greta Thunberg, we, we actually have something in common, um, just our, in, in our backgrounds, um, which makes us kind of rare. Um, it, it's, um, we, we are able to see the world very in a black and white way. And in order to do that, um, we just have to focus on the goal, leave everything else aside and bring our minds to bear on the problem and it gets solved. Um, I, I spend like hours and hours and hours like immersed in research and uh, discussing with people as well. Uh, and that's what I, that's my innate ability. Uh, other people have different abilities. Um, the mom on our team has a great communication ability. I have a great thinking ability and uh, systems thinking ability. And um, I just like to do research. And so that's why, that's why I'm uh, contributing to our team this summer. But really, uh, I just try to free my mind and focus on what counts. Uh, a lot of people are not that fortunate to be able to do what I do. 
and I, I, I totally understand that. It's um, that's why we need. That's why I need to do the work that I do so that people can have the opportunities that um, I want. I would like everyone to have. Uh, everything you just said, it sounds to me like I would phrase it as purity of motivation. Mm. Does that does that, yes. mis- does that ring true to yes, you? Or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, there's so many different roadblocks that people put up on in, in front of them in their lives. Like right now, every time I turn on the news, uh, there's always some distraction that's taking us away well, from the that. central issue of climate change. And you know, right. the, there there are people in the oil and gas companies who are, are and people in very in various industries um, um, who are probably happy for what's going on in the news because it's blocking the direct action on climate that we need. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't be that way. We, we want everyone to make money. We want the people in the oil and gas industry to make money. We want people in uh, renewable energy to make money. Uh, everyone, like from the poorest individual to the richest billionaire, we want everybody to make money. And, you know, but we can't do it if we're killing the climate. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's um, our goal is to make sure we have um, a good platform to connect people to bring about that change that we need. Uh, to make people successful, uh, to show people that there's a learning opportunity involved in growing their businesses and to make good progress towards climate solutions. It's it's really not that hard. I mean, if, if I can do it of all people, it's like, you know, you just don't need to drive into work every day. You don't have to fly like everywhere to go to meetings and talk to people. Um, like COP26 that we had uh, um, overseas last year, a lot of people caring about the climate and they're all flying in jets to get over there. Um, it's not, um, it's not that hard and it's, you know, it just takes, it takes someone setting an example to show how things can be done. And uh, that's all I try to do. You mean like Greta sailing over there on a boat? Well, you know, she could have gotten there a lot faster, but you know, that, that's one, that's her, that was her choice. And, uh, I definitely support it. I I would like to take a sailing trip, you know, it would be kind of cool to go fishing every day. And, um, life is what you make it. It it should be experiences uh, that really count. And, uh, um, and, you know, when you're flying on a jet with, you know, like a can of sardines with everybody else, you don't really have that fulfilling experience of traveling the world on boat like mm. our ancestors used to do hundreds of years ago. Right. Um, so, you know, just just look for I, I prefer to look for the experiences in life and try to enjoy those while we can and also try to see what we're trying to save. Um, and that motivates me every day. I have a beautiful view out in my backyard in Evergreen, Colorado. Uh, in Evergreen, yes, yeah, it's yes. a beautiful yeah. place to live. Yes, it motivates yeah. me all the time to to see like exactly what I like to protect. You know, if, if our house ever burns down to due to a wildfire, I know that's the definite possibility in our area. Um, that would motivate me just that much more to um, help the climate problem. Yeah, when I started my business, uh, summer of 2020, it was like the worst wildfire mm-hmm. season I think Colorado had. And I was out there knocking on doors being like, hey, climate change realty, while there was smoke yes, yes. billowing down the street. And I was literally out, out there walking. So it was it was good motivation. Um, have you ever seen the the Simon Sinek Start With Why talk? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you, this, that, and this end of this conversation has reminded me about his story about Samuel Pierpont Langley and the Wright brothers mm-hmm. and how Langley had all the funding he needed and all the publicity he could possibly mm-hmm. desire to try and create a uh, man flight. Yeah. And these guys that owned a bicycle shop just had mm-hmm. the they had the purity of the motivation. They didn't want fame. They wanted to 
change the world mm-hmm. so we could fly so we like you said we could really travel around mm-hmm. so i don't know you, you reminded me of that a little bit um doll do you have any advice for other young folks who are passionate about building this better world that you and i both want to want to be a part of yeah i would just say you know go for it you guys are the future um don't let mistakes of previous generations hold you back um you have you have a total open slate of what you can do for the future. And so I just really, uh, I want to make sure that we leave the door open for the next generation to come and make the changes that maybe we aren't able to make because of various reasons. Uh, too much history in this country, um, too much um, um, you know, uncoordination, um, too many arguments, disputes, whatever. That doesn't have to be the case in the next generation. Um, no, I, I, I personally, I, I, I used to think, you know, it would be cool if I lived 200 years in the future. And I, I would love watching Star Trek and uh, uh, other shows where you see the potential, like what it might be like in the 24th century uh, when people are up in space and doing various things. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, it, it might be possible to do that kind of uh, travel someday um, to harness huge energy sources and do various things. But unless the people watching this right now, unless your children are shown the way that they can actually give them the freedom to explore, to learn new things, to be creative, to um, learn whatever they can to, uh, and to, to, to know that you can use that knowledge to solve problems. You know, science is not um, something to be, um, to be dismissed or something that, you know, you shouldn't follow because it's too geeky or, um, you know, it's too dorky or something. Um, science is the pursuit of knowledge. It's the pursuit of truth. Um, we, we'll never get there. We will never get anything perfect, but we can make the best possible attempt. And that's what, you know, that's all that we're trying to do with Quantum Go and, you know, with, with uh, any kind of optimization technique. We, we won't ever get any models right, but we can get, pretty darn close and you know with the help of future generations um we'll make progress in that direction and become better as a species yeah and then you can also realize that it's like really cool to live now where you can like throw on some spikes and run up a 14er while alan watts who's been dead for 50 years is giving you a lecture about what it means to exist and you can grab a i don't know a zip line or something like there's all this cool stuff you could do now and then you can fly across the the world to indonesia and have a meal for five dollars like it's pretty wild to be alive now i would say and just accelerating every single year you know definitely wild and you know with with companies like yours climate change realty you know you're you're helping to set the stage for uh for people to drive climate progress by just moving in becoming neighbors and uh, right. um there there's a huge amount of opportunity for um for them for just living now beautiful areas within the country and definitely you know cities are um cities need improvement Rural areas need improvement. There's tons of business opportunities out there. So um, you know, just get out and enjoy life while you can. Um, it's not meant to be a 9 to 5, 24, 7, 365 days a year. Um, it's meant to be a unique experience. And uh, I've just worked all my life to make sure I can get to where I am now. Uh, a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is my motivation as well to get to uh, a good place so I can be able to help people. So 
Um, yeah, I definitely wish everyone the best watching this, and I hope that um, we'll be able to work together in some capacity. Our door's always open, and you know, just want to do the best we can. Definitely. Doll, never change. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks for taking some time to come on the podcast. Thank you. Good luck as well. You're welcome. All right, everybody. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace out. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.